Hello and welcome to episode 128 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. Briefly, I am Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C., Ben Olson. What's happening, Ben? Uh, not a whole lot. You said that... Um you said briefly. So yeah. Does that mean that you're Nathan Fox for a short while, or are you <laughs> in L.A. for a short while? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm in L.A. for a, a very short while. Uh, I, Like I said last time, I had this crazy golf trip to Oregon. I spent a bunch of time up there um, getting literally snowed on. I just got back from Portland yesterday, um, which, by the way, I love Portland. Have you spent any time in Portland? Not much. What a great city that is. Boy, it's awesome. What do you like um, about it? Uh, it's just beautiful, small, funky, fun. Got all kinds of cool stuff going on there. Um, just neat. I don't know. If you've never been there, it's just a really cool place to explore. Reminds me of uh, like San Francisco a little bit. It reminds me of Boston a little bit. Um, I don't know. It's just got good stuff going on cool. in Portland. Cool people, good food, good good beer and stuff. It's like cheap. Oregon's got all these weird laws. I don't know. It's just just a weird, funky place. But um, anyway, I arrived back yesterday late, and then I today I have a house guest arriving from Korea, and then wow. I leave I leave tomorrow for San Diego for another super broy golf trip. Uh, this time not in the snow though. This time I'll be in San yeah. Diego for three or four days, and then I'll be back here, and things will chill out a little bit. So is this person who's staying at your house uh, through that website you talked about earlier, that one where people just go to places for free? Yeah, a friend from Couchsurfing. I know her previously because she stayed with me last summer, but she's traveling again, so she's passing through. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it's always it's always nice. Give me a reason to like clean the house and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm just running around uh, like crazy doing a million things, which is fun sometimes. Yeah, but uh, it seems like I should be relaxed when I'm just playing golf all the time. But when you add the travel on top of it, it gets taxing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm certainly not complaining. Um, today on the show, we are going to run through a bunch of listener emails, but uh, we have a few announcements and things that we should get to right off the top. I mean, the one that I'm the most excited about is this new uh, Thinking LSAT Facebook uh, group. Yeah. Um, do we have a direct URL for that? How do people find that again? I mean, it's on, obviously it's on thinking com. but I don't, I don't think there is a direct URL yet. I think we have to have more users. Oh, whatever. we're back to this again. We need to get a certain number of people in it so that we can. Okay. Anyway, go to Facebook, see if you can find the thinking LSAT uh, group uh, or go to our website. I'm sure we have it linked. Um, I think Matt was like tweeting about it and sending it out in the newsletter and stuff. So there should be ways you can find it. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be cool. Um, I am going, my intention is to drop in from time to time to the group and, you know, chime in. Certainly if anybody ever needs me, you can like send out the bat signal and I'll show up on Facebook and, and try to help out. But it's mostly going to be, uh, a place where the thinking LSAT community can congregate with each other, uh, network, locate study buddies, ask questions of each other, share resources, uh, all using the uh, face Facebook, which I don't really use a whole hell of a lot. Do you, Ben? <laughs> no, I don't use it very much, but <laughs> sorry, I just liked how you called it the Facebook. 
I was going to say the face page, like my dad and his old buddies do, because they think that's the height of comedy. <laughs> I saved myself at the last minute from making that stupid joke. But yeah, fa- it's, it's, a, it's a Facebook thing. I'm sure all of these kids that are listening to the show will have no problem finding it. Yeah, it is. Uh, I just checked. It is linked. Thanks, Matt, on the uh, on the website. So on our website, thinkinglsite.com, and you should be able to find a link to our Facebook page. Even if you don't really use Facebook, um, go ahead and just send a request to join the group. It is by request only, uh, so we have a few different admins, and uh, yeah, see see what happens. We'll uh, we'll show up from time to time. I know there's a poll running that we've got some heated some heated voting going on in the poll and uh, there's already been a little chatter going back and forth between the, um, the listeners. So thanks for all that. Um, We also need to thank Grant Albert for being our first patron. Wait, did he already get a shout out last time? No, I feel like he did, but we got a, we got another person. Oh yeah. We're moving on Grant, your old news. And instead of Grant, it is, boy, this is all down in my email here still, uh, Mark Moody. He, I think he signed up for the highest one, right? Or he no, did. second highest? He did. I th- well, the second highest, I think. He said, he pledged, uh, Mark Moody is chipping in 20 bucks a month to help our show expenses, which is super awesome. What does yeah. Mark get for his 20 bucks a month? I, Matt set us up with all these crazy rewards that I feel like... <laughs> We can't deliver. We can't, we're not going to actually deliver on these promises, but no, we we will. We will, of course. Um, we might just have to change them for because right now I think they're just they're just too generous. Um, well, so yeah, so Mark signed up for the uh, twenty dollars per month option, which is conveniently called the one seventy to one seventy four. By the way, we don't um, guarantee that he's going to get a one seventy to one seventy four with that. Yeah. We don't? Are you sure? Well, I guess we, given what Matt has written here, I think it strongly suggests that. But um, yeah, with that, you get, you know, uh, 170 to 174 by the time you're finished studying, a free t shirt. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just think this stuff is funny. It's actually a free $20 t shirt. So yeah, I don't um, know why Matt put that in there. We could probably edit that out. <laughs> um, but you are going to get it's going to be the first thinking LSAT T-shirt. The first right. of what I hope are many thinking LSAT T-shirts. And I'm working on my uh, working with my artist buddy on a few different designs for that. But that is going to happen. And cool. and if you sign up for the twenty dollar a month pledge, you just get it for free. Yeah, you'll um, get that in 2018 at some point. At some point in 2018, we can promise that. You're also going to, this whole thing with the favorite moments, um, what are we doing? Oh, that's clips from the show that get edited and put into YouTube? Yep. That's right. Neat. At least that's what I understand. I guess we should ask Matt, but. Neat. Well, we're figuring it out as we go along, but um, that's been the motto of the podcast from the very beginning. It's just figuring it out as we go along. So That's right. And that's also my number one, tr- my number one tip for entrepreneurship, basically. Don't go to business school. Don't borrow money. Don't make a business plan. Just start doing shit and see what happens. Yeah. That's that's the plan, basically. That's the same for the LSAT, right? Too many people are trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do, what study regimen they're going to get, and they buy it online, and and they want to know what score they should get and exactly what schools they should apply to. It's just like, why don't you take a 35-minute section and see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing, 
nothing beats doing a practice test and find out where you're at and start learning from your mistakes. So yeah, less strategery, more actual action. Yeah. Cool. Um, so again, thanks to, uh, Grant Albert, who will forever be our first, um, patron, but now also thanks to Mark Moody, who is going to get the first t-shirt, all sorts of firsts out there to be claimed by people Mm -hmm. who pledge to start giving us money. Um, what else we got to talk about? Yeah, we're on Stitcher. If you want to listen to the podcast on Stitcher, go find us, sign up. We're still looking for new YouTube subscribers. That's youtube.com slash thinking LSAT. Sign up for that. You've heard all that. Okay. Um, is it time to dig into the emails? Yeah. Okay. Are we, <laughs> here we go again. All right. You want, do you want to take this one, Ben? Sure. I will. You're laughing because the subject, right? Yeah. Yeah. The subject for this email was halo top. Um, that's referring to the ice cream that Nathan so dearly loves. Let's not call it an ice cream. I'm sorry. Um, a ice confection ice what is in it i don't know we have we've gotten so many emails this is by now our most popular topic we've gotten so many emails about (laughs) halo top and apparently it it does have dairy it is a dairy thing okay um but it's 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 just i think it's like they've just taken out all the fat and then like weirdly put in a bunch of protein stuff because protein is the the hot thing these days right yeah yeah that's right so it's like get your macros yeah so it's like a protein fake ice cream is what it is anyway Mm. here's (laughs) wait hold on they're saying something else here i'm on their website and they say we're not joking oh this is good it actually tastes like ice cream and we're not joking uh, I think they are. While Halo Top is low calorie, high protein, and low sugar, we use only the best ingredients to craft our ice cream. Fuck so. off. <laughs> <laughs> to the to the extent that it's sweet, it tastes like ice cream. Yeah. But other than that, it's not ice cream, and not even at all. But here let's what do you yeah, want to read this in. this email? Go for it. Sure. Hey guys, as an ice cream lover, this stuff is the worst. I know because I'm an avid weightlifter that is, I am an avid weightlifter that it's, oh, because I'm an avid weightlifter, I know that it's very popular among the fitness crowd, especially the Instagrammy fitness people. Oh yeah. Those wonderful people who post their abs on Instagram every day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The reason for its popularity is because the protein content for those who are tracking their macros is very high. And I assume because these people are already eating other high protein bullshit like Quest protein chips. Have you seen those? Gag. That they're used to sacrificing taste for more protein. Yeah, if you're focusing on macros, you don't really care about taste probably. Anyways, uh, I think this is mostly marketed toward fitness people and then basic bitches helped popularize it on Instagram. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is a basic bitch um, on Instagram? Because it's in a pretty container. Marjorie. Okay. <laughs> I think Marjorie nailed it there. Yeah. I think it's people who are, who are used to just eating. It's like they just consider food to be ingredients that they put into their abs and they're, yeah. they're not, they're not eating. They're not eating food. You know, I, 
my my hatred of this stuff it really comes from reading some Michael Pollan. Have you you must have read some Michael Pollan? Is this guy that like the herbivore's dilemma dude, or is that someone? Yeah, else? I think so. Um, he's a, a professor at UC Berkeley. I want to say he's actually like a journalism professor at Berkeley, but he's written a bunch of books about food. And he wrote this book about he basically um, it's you know uh, eat food mostly plants. Yeah. Not too much. Sure. That's Michael Pollan. Yeah. And he has a few of these other little aphorisms. The one that really stuck with me is um, basically don't eat food that makes health claims. Mm. And the reason why is because a food can only make a health claim if it's in a fucking package. Yeah. And yeah. so Halo Top, with all its telling you how many grams of protein and all this bullshit on the outside of it, well, you know, an apple doesn't do that, and a banana doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's just, there's no planet where Halo Top is actually a a health a healthy thing. It's a you're eating a processed packaged thing, and I don't care how much they tell you about the wholesome ingredients and all that shit. <laughs> it's still coming out of a factory, and just you got to just be honest about what you're actually what you're actually eating. I wonder if uh, like fruit producers or farmers or whoever markets these, you know, apples and stuff you're mentioning have thought about putting labels on their food. It's like a hundred percent fruit. <laughs> yeah, totally. So absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. That would make yeah, those other claims like a hundred percent natural just seem absurd and ridiculous. Oh, like, it is. Yeah. How could this be when I just saw something else that said right. the same thing? Well, when you think about other foods that are making health claims, you know, things that make health claims, it's like diet Coke. Oh my gosh! Like this is good for you, diet diet Coke. It's, 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 oh, it's a diet product. It's <laughs> okay. Um, or like you know, low tar cigarettes. Mm. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good example. Oh, these are good for you. Doctors recommend these ones because they have lower tar. Yeah, it's like the price of law school. This is you're getting a scholarship. It's a discount. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're getting less tar. We're not talking about the tar you're getting, but boy. Look, it's like cut in half. Yeah, you're getting ripped off a lot less than you could have. <sighs> anyway, um, thank you, Marjorie, for writing in. And everybody else who's been writing in about how much they hate Halo Top, thank you for supporting me. I know I'm right, but I, I still it appreciate, I appreciate the um, affirmation. Dude, I went shopping today. I didn't even think about it. Now I have to buy some just to try it. Oh, my God. I, you know, just make sure you do, you do it on a day where you're really happy. Because mm-hmm. if you if you try this on a day where you're already sad, it might drive you over the edge, dude. I think it, it you should ha- it should have like the suicide warning hotline label on it. Because yeah. you, you you might you know you're going to be eating this thing. It's all it's like Marjorie says. It's got like the pretty container, and it's, you, you you know you're you're thinking you're giving yourself this real treat, and then you start eating it, and it's just like, sadness. Yeah. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, just be careful. Be, be okay. careful. You can call me if you need support or anything <clears throat> while you're trying it. Yeah. Um, and I'll, or you know what you really do? You just you get actual real ice cream oh, at the same time. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. That's and like then, having sour cream next to some really spicy chili. Yeah. Well, except that sour cream and really spicy chili are both great. Yeah. Okay, bad analogy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next email. Um, ben and Nathan. 
I am an active duty Green Beret and will be attending law school fall of 2018. My stats are 166 on the December 17 test and a 2.2 LSAC GPA. But my GPA from a from my degree-granting institution is a 3.9. To sum up why my GPA is so abysmal and different from where I graduated, I went to college, started engineering, hated it, dropped out, joined the Army, and decided I didn't want to be in the Army forever, so I went back to school and tried. I guess tried to, like, actually tried to get good grades. There were extenuating circumstances my first time in school, and I've expressed those in an addendum. The reason for this email is to give hope to others out there with terrible GPAs. So far this cycle, I have been admitted to Temple, Cardozo, Chicago Kent, Loyola Chicago, and a few other schools that are lower ranked. I have also been waitlisted at George Washington and am awaiting decisions from Fordham and George Mason, George Mason, along with long shot decisions from UVA and Georgetown. Your advice not to worry about your GPA and focus on studying for the LSAT could not be more on point. I also wanted to ask you guys for your opinions on why people are so quick to say transferring is near impossible. I feel comfortable enough in my ability to accept admission to a school I feel I am better than the average student at and outperform my peers there to the point of being able to transfer. Is that crazy? I also don't care about transferring as I will be 100% GI Bill benefits and all of these law schools are yellow ribbon participants, meaning I will attend for free. Thanks, and I will send updates on the admissions process when my cycle ends. Tino, (laughs) and then feel free to use my name. People worry too much. That's a good one. I like that one. That is good. Yeah, no one's going to track you down. Um, No one's going to track down Tino, because Tino is a Green Beret, and he'll kill your ass if you do. By the way, uh, I, I grew up, I lived in Cupertino, just behind um, <laughs> Infinity Circle. And we uh, often, well, I grew up there from when I was like three till I was like eight or nine. Infinity Loop? Yeah. Oh, Infinity Loop. Is that what it's called? I don't yeah, know. it's like That's what I always read it as. Yeah. It's literally like the, the house I lived in was, it's like two blocks, two blocks over from uh, Apple's headquarters. But uh, yeah, we often referred to uh, Cupertino as Tino. So <laughs> I've never heard that one before. Really? Yeah. I don't know. Wow. It, just, it wasn't like a super common thing, but it definitely was a thing. Uh, so one thing I wanted to look here is at the George Mason 509 report, because yep. it has, uh, this is one of the schools that Tino is interested in. Yep. He's awaiting decisions from Fordham and George Mason and it's on a wait list at George Washington. So let's say since George Washington is a better school than George Mason, if he gets into George Mason, seems likely, seems possible. One of his options would be to try to transfer to George Washington or maybe even UVA or Georgetown, right? These are all schools uh, in the D.C. kind of kind of in the D.C. area. I and think I know where you're going with this. Provide the listeners a little bit of narrative. I think you are uh, going to look at the list of number of transfers from one of those schools to the other one. See exactly. Specifically, they take transfers. Exactly. So which way are we going here? I'm not really that familiar with these schools. George uh, Washington and George Mason. Who's the yeah. better George? So the better George is Washington. Okay. Um, not by much, but a, a, 
Uh, definitely. Uh, I'd say George Washington's in the 20s and George Mason's in the low 30s, 40s. And we can just look and see exactly whether there have been people transferring from the lesser George to the greater George. That's right. So right now I'm looking at actually the George Washington yep. the GW 509 because it's going to yep. say where students transferred from. Yeah. And so it looks like, okay, transfers in 2016, 2017. Ooh, okay. So 1L transfers out, out of George Washington, that doesn't really help us a whole lot, but just so you know, 37 students. Transfers in uh, came from 12 or more schools. There were 67 people who transferred in. Now, if we go and we look down here, we can find George Mason, which isn't surprising. George Mason and George Washington are in the same area. So people who are at a GMU are George Mason would want to transfer to George Washington since it's a better school. And there were a grand total of two. Two people transferred from George Mason to George Washington. That's, you know, those are two slots. Can you get in there? And most of these schools that are listed here, we have a bunch of other schools. American University. Actually, this is interesting. The number of people who transferred from American University, which is even lower. Uh, I don't know what it's ranked, but it's 70s, 100, something like that. Uh, 30 students transferred from AU. So a lot of people got into AU and then, wow, made it over to George Washington. That's interesting. That um, is interesting. Hmm. But most of these schools are like one. If we go even higher, we have Georgetown, which is the better of the three Georges. Wow. Um, yeah, lots of Georges in this area. If you go to Georgetown and you look at people who transferred from George Washington, for example... You have three people who transferred from George Washington and four people who transferred from George Mason. Which, by the way, is the Antonin Scalia School of Law. <laughs> nice. So the point is, <clears throat> you can look at the 509s to see how many people are actually doing all of these transfers. Yeah. And there's not that many. I mean, the AU is an exception. I wonder, yeah, it looks like 13 people transferred from American University to Georgetown. I'm surprised. Yeah, that's a lot of people. So a lot of people are going to AU. They get into law school with a lower LSAT score, and then they pick, you know, work their butt off and transfer. Hmm. Yeah, you just got to remember that everybody else is there trying to do the same thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so, you know... Is is Tino crazy? It, not crazy, but I think the odds are pretty low. I would not plan on it. I would plan on something that's in your control right now, which is your LSAT score. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah. settle for something lower and just say that I'm okay with that and get a better scholarship. Yeah. Well, you're... I mean, Tino doesn't care about scholarship because he's he's getting a hundred percent GI Bill and yellow ribbon, which means he's just he's not paying tuition and the government's paying for his living expenses. So he's he's ready to go to law school, and you know he has a one sixty six on the December twenty seventeen test, and he wants to go this cycle like right now. Yeah. So I don't think you're crazy, Tino, and I just think you know you're going to have to bust your ass. If you end up being in the top 10% of your class or top maybe 20% of your class, then you'll have some transfer opportunities. Mm -hmm. But, you know, 80% of the people in the class think they're going to get grades in the top 10% of the class. And uh, most of them are wrong. So By it's hard definition. to predict. <clears throat> yeah, it's hard to predict who's going to, you know, who's going to really kill it and who's not. But 
if you think you're the only one going in there thinking that you're, you know, going to outperform your peers, you are vastly uh, mistaken on that because everybody's going in thinking that they're a killer. And, um, no, Tino actually really probably has killed people, but, um, you know, hopefully he's not going to get through <laughs> law school that way. Uh, anyway, no, <laughs> yeah. um, you're going to find stiff competition no matter where you go. The lower ranked school you go to, uh, the easier the competition will be. So it is certainly possible, uh, you know, get a, you, you get into some really great school, you go to some not so great school because you get a great scholarship or something. And yeah, I mean, you could make a prediction there that you're, you've got better than average chances of uh, outperforming in school. Yeah. But that's about the most I'd ever say. I mean, I, I would never, I would never guarantee anybody that they're going to really kill it um, in law school. It's, it's, a, you know, it, it, it's, it takes a while too. Right. So it's like, it's a different you at the end of next year mm-hmm. and you're, and you're still fighting it out for the grades and you've been through a lot in that year. And who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. I don't think you're crazy, Tino. Um, it sounds like you've got yourself a great deal with the free tuition, free benefit, you know, living expenses and everything. So I'm not worried too much about Tino's chances. Yeah. All right. Next one. Yeah. Um, let's see here. This is from John. Hi, Ben. Hey, Ben and Nathan. My name is John. Feel free to use my real name on the podcast if you'd like. Thank you. And I'd like your opinion on if being a non-traditional student is an asset or a liability. Uh, really depends on what you mean by non-traditional. If it, okay, so let's take a look. I moved to the United States from Brazil to go to college and graduated in 2007 and haven't done anything academically, academically since then. I'm 32 now, and for the past 10 years, I've worked the same job managing a small business unit of a large corporation. I also spent time getting married, buying a house, and having a child. I'm looking for a change in career and feel that I have strengths that match being a lawyer. This this is making me nervous. This is like a red flag to me, in addition, in addition to having a vocation for the work. Um... John, where are you getting the idea that you have strengths that match being a lawyer? Um, well, John continues, I've heard about non-traditional students before, but I haven't heard you discuss it on the podcast. Do I qualify as a non-traditional student being from outside the country and being older? What should I do differently from a traditional student in my application? If I can get an acceptance acceptable LSAT score, Will being older help or hinder my law school application? I don't think John is that old that it's going to make that much of a difference. No. If you're like 40, then they want to know what you're doing and why you're choosing to go to law school. Are you lost or do you have a specific career path in mind? If you have a particular career path in mind, they may gladly accept you because they know that you're going to turn around and go right back to work and help the school look good. But uh, if you're just lost, then I think that being older is going to hurt you. And here, I, I'm not too sure why John thinks he has the strengths that match being a lawyer. I mean, to me, that just sounds like I watched some TV show and I feel like I fit that mold. Yeah, well, we we see that all the time. I mean, 
Yeah, we have no idea why John thinks he has strengths that match being a lawyer or a vocation for the work. Um, don't know if he has any legal experience. But if he's worried about the non-traditional thing, that isn't going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is his LSAT score. Right? Yeah, LSAT. Well, no, I'm saying it, it matters if you're old. In this case, I don't think John's that old. Yeah. but No, it, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with that. 32 does not automatically make you a non-traditional, whoa, this is something totally different. Yeah. 32 is for law school applicants. 32 is is totally within the normal range. Mm-hmm. I think 22 year olds always think that like, you know, I, I've had people be like 23, 24 and they're like freaking out about how they're late to get into law school. Oh yeah. Or they're saying I got to apply this cycle. I've, I've been out of school for three years and you're like, uh, or two years, you know, <laughs> not a big deal. This is a no, big I see decision. people, yeah, I see people all the time who are 10 years out of college and going back. And that doesn't, that doesn't even, I don't even bat an eye. I mean, I see people that are 20 years out or like, you know, their kids are off to college now and they're doing a career change and going to law school. I mean, that's a non-traditional applicant. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think John working for a little bit, getting married, having a kid, buying a house, and then now figuring out that he really wants to be a lawyer. That does not at all look like non-traditional. Anyway, did we make it through the whole thing or no? No. Yeah, let me continue. So my, okay. my involvements outside of work have been mostly political. Should I mention those experiences or just the, avoid the subject entirely in my application? No, you should definitely include those experiences. And the more passion and um, involvement you have, the better. I don't care what your issues are. Um, the law is in, innately political. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, they expect people to come from all, all different political persuasions. So um, I think conviction is more important than what your political stance is or worrying yeah. about alienating somebody. Yeah. And he, he's going to, he is going to have to explain, you know, with 10 years in between college and, and uh, applying now to law school, he needs to think about crafting this, his personal statement, in a way that makes it look like it all makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. you want it, want it to click for them. Like, Oh, I see what he did. And I see why this makes a good sense for him. Mm-hmm. So instead of him talking about like, I have these strengths and I have a vocation for the work, you need to demonstrate that by here's what I did at work. Here's what I did volunteering. Here's my political involvements. Here's why the law school thing is the obvious next step for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's just, yeah, I, I, I agree that he needs to mention those experiences. John concludes, you guys are straight up ballers. Thanks. Thank you for the work you do with the podcast. It has been a great help to me during my tackling of the LSAT. Regards, John. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks for writing in. Um, On to the next. Yeah. Nathan and Ben. I will keep this as concise as possible as I know you hate walls of text. Please use my first name only. Love the podcast. I've been listening since I started my prep in mid-December, and I love the honesty you guys exhibit on your show as opposed to just telling everyone what they want to hear, as do a number of other LSAT sources. Okay. Ooh. Here's my background. I started prep in mid-December, scored 144 on my first cold test. Have been studying using a combination of the Manhattan prep books for LRLG and RC 
and practice tests uh, 29 through 38 and 42 through 51. Okay. I scored a 158 on my latest timed practice test in late January. I plan on taking either the June, July, or September LSAT, depending on how I progress. I am studying for a score, 172, based on where I want to go and what I want to do. Okay. Question. As a listener of the podcast, I have been skeptical of the Manhattan Prep books. Thus far, it has been useful. Uh, they, you mean, have been useful as I have been learning about the different question types and practicing those skills on timed prep test sections and have increased my score rather quickly. All of the material in the books has coincided for the most part with what you guys discuss on the podcast until now. I have just gotten to the section on the approach for assumption questions and the book strongly recommends reading the stem first. <clears throat> Not a great idea. No. Look, these books aren't all bad. It's not like everything that they say is going to um, hurt your score or make you do worse or not help you in any way. A lot of the advice is consistent with what we're saying because it's logic and it makes sense and people have picked it up and they're sharing it with you. That's great. Um, but some pieces of advice we strongly disagree with. They strongly recommend reading the stem first. We strongly recommend <laughs> not being so stupid. Yeah. I'm just, I don't know what else is in there, but I'm sure there's a lot that's great. But if they're saying, read the question stem first, I, I, I have my concerns about all the other stuff they might say. And, but I mean, you should take everything I say with a grain of salt. Um, you should take everything Ben says with a grain of salt. We're n none of us are perfect. Um, there's, yeah, you can get some wisdom from all different sources. The problem is that here, you know, that, that one turd is going to be enough to, uh, I don't know, poison the whole punch bowl, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, LR is half the test and if you F that up, then yeah, it's not so good. Yeah. After listening to the case you presented on the podcast about this specific issue, I will refrain from using this strategy. But the Manhattan books have also lost some credibility in my mind. My question is, am I wasting my time with them? Should I abandon ship now? I feel as though they have been helpful up to this point, but don't want to waste precious study time on something that is ultimately going to lead me down the wrong path. What do you guys suggest? Appreciate any input you can offer. Thanks, Joe. What do you think? Does he just do a bonfire of these books, or... Oh, I don't Keep know. Keep going. My impression of Man the Manhattan books isn't so bad. No, me My either. My impression of the Kaplan books is awful. My impression of the um, Princeton Review explanations was much more favorable than that of Kaplan. Um, I don't know who sits down and writes these things, but I also didn't. I don't sit down and review all these books from cover to cover. Yeah. So, who knows? Why not just take one of our classes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. If you want to know what, what we recommend, what what sources we trust, we have a lot of resources. We have books and we have things that we believe in. So you could always go to uh, strategyprep.com to learn about Ben's stuff and foxlset.com to learn about my stuff. Um, you already have these Manhattan books. I think there's probably a lot in there that you can get some value out of. 
I wouldn't necessarily just ditch them immediately. If it was Kaplan, I would say it's bonfire time. If it's, you know, Manhattan, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in there you can learn. Just flag anything that doesn't make sense and, I don't know, send us another email maybe and, and give us some... If you ever see anything that conflicts with what we say, you know, then we would love to hear about it because um, we're, we're probably right, but we could be wrong and we'd, we'd be interested in hashing it out. Yeah, I would say, yeah, every like 100 episodes, I think we make one or two mistakes. So... Yeah. We need to kind of clean that up. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I have to bust Joe's balls for the one. He he did it once, and it caught my eye. Yeah, he's and done then it three times. He did it again, and I was like, oh, boy. And then he did it the third time, and I was like, Joe, Joe, Joe. You're going around in your whole life every time you write the word guys – so I love the honesty you guys exhibit on the show. And there's an apostrophe after the S. Yep. All the material in the books has coincided for the most part with what you guys discuss on the podcast. <laughs> with an apostrophe after the S. Yeah. The apostrophe here is suggesting plural possession. But we don't possess, exhibit. We are exhibiting we are doing that thing so yeah the last thing is in the question the third instance what do you guys suggest but you're writing like guises you're you're trying to like which isn't really even a thing anyway but <laughs> people do say yeah. that right like i love yeah, you yeah. guys's podcast and in that case it's like oh okay throw the throw the apostrophe <laughs> on there to make it guises okay like that's cool i don't know i'm fine with that I also love y'all, but if you're going to put yeah. what do you guys suggest, you cannot put an apostrophe on that. Nope. That is a no-go, no-go apostrophe. Um, okay, uh, dude, superfluous apostrophes. I have, been, I have been yelling about superfluous apostrophes since I was in like junior high, and I'm never going to stop. Good. If you have any doubt about whether you should use an apostrophe, probably not. <laughs> probably just probably don't. not yeah. yeah no they're they're ugly too they are there's a there's a huge sign that was up in my uh in my hometown my little tiny hometown of ripon oh, california no. there was yeah, this yeah. sign on like an empty lot and it was this beautiful sign that they had created for this like new housing development that was coming in you know it's like this picture of this big house with an oak yeah, tree yeah, and it everything looks really nice and expensive and and it just it had like so one of the words was was ended it was a plural word it was like homes or i think it was maybe lots or something so that's what they were doing they were trying to sell lots yeah and then they, they put it was like l o t apostrophe s for lots <laughs> on this like giant sign where they were selling like you know whatever a hundred thousand to hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy these lots and it, they had spent money on this sign. I mean, it was beautiful. Like someone had designed it and everything. And it had lots, L-O-T apostrophe S. And I had a fantasy about sneaking out there at night, you know, with like a, a some tape or something and like correcting that, <laughs> omitting that yeah. apostrophe for them. I never did it. Instead, I just drove by it for, of course, then there was like the, the financial meltdowns and real estate meltdowns. And they ended up never developing that shit for like, 15 years so that that billboard was just sitting there for like 15 years with people driving by it every day 
Well, so maybe it was the meltdown, but maybe it's just their bad grammar. It could be that like, that apostrophe just <laughs> fucked their whole business. Yeah. I'm not going to buy land there. That <laughs> reminds me of the uh, the uh, parking garage I go into every day. I don't even know. Like, there's a sign that says, you know, the pricing and all this stuff. And first of all, it's strange because there's some phrase in the in this sign. I don't even know what the phrase is because I'm so distracted by the the um, the quotation marks that I've never even like internalized what was said there. But um, for some reason, they've put double, you know, quotes. So this is the, the double thing, whatever, two apostrophes. The, the quotes around some word in this sign, why you need to put a phrase or a word in quotes on a parking sign is unknown to me. But um, not only have they do they have quotes around this word or phrase, the the last uh, quotes are backwards. So they're pointing away from the word, you know, as opposed to oh, towards the word. Oh, yeah. And it's just every time I pull into that freaking parking garage, I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> Can't you just look at your sign for like a half second before you go to the printer and have them make it? Well, people, I mean, this is- yeah, people don't realize that smart quotes are a thing. <clears throat> this is another. Yeah. That's another thing that lawyers will catch all the time, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Lawyers will be able to tell whether a quotation mark is going the right way or whether a, an apostrophe is going the right way or not. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, um, no one's going to want to write in anymore. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be like, wait, is there a period here? Is there a semicolon? No, just write it and we'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, also, one one space between sentences, please. Yeah. Um, we've said that before, so there's no, there's no pass on that one. We've said all these things before. I don't know if we've said guys with a... <laughs> well, that's a new one. That's It's so funny that he did it three times in the same email. All right. Well, we just saved Joe's life because he, for the rest of his life, people were going to be noticing that and just being like talking about him and stuff. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. Joe, did you know that Joe... Yeah, he's okay, but yeah. do you see what he does with guys all the time? <laughs> guys. <laughs> Uh, all right, Joe. Um, thanks. Yeah. If you, if you run across anything in those Manhattan books that you are, have questions about, um, send it in. We'd love to uh, talk about some actual LSAT content once in a while <laughs> on the thinking LSAT <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Next one. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Do it. So, uh, Hey, Nathan and Ben first, thank you for the honest advice. Well, there's two people who have said that we're honest. I guess maybe we actually are honest. Yeah. Or at least we're getting closer to it. All y'all, have been indispensable in cutting through the bullshit around the law school application process. Feel free to use my name, Vicky, if you read this on the podcast. All right. I'm interested in your take on Northwestern's early decision program. It's binding, but there's a $150,000 discount if you do get in. According to their 509s, I think I have a shot. All right. So it's nice to know what the discount is. What's the amount you're actually going to have to pay? Yeah. Some background. Uh, I'm applying to law school into the 2018-2019 cycle, hoping for admission to the top 10. Score on record, 169. Cold diagnostic, strictly timed. Oh, good. 160. Uh, prep tests, mid-160s peak of 169. Oh, wow. So you got your peak on test day. Good. Undergrad GPA, graduated from... Graduated in 2016 from Rice University with a 3.89. These are all good numbers. Yeah, those are all really good numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I wonder if she knows Papa Zach. She overlapped, I think, at Rice with Papa Zach. Oh, that's a good memory you have there. I didn't remember where Papa Zach went. Yeah. I spent two months studying. I took a Blueprint Live course and did some private tutoring as well. I didn't see meaningful improvement until about three or four weeks before the test when I started doing daily 35-minute sections. So props to you guys. There's definitely no correlation causation going on there. It's just straight-up causation, so we appreciate that. Yeah, right. I started up again with timed sections this week, and I think I'll be able to hit the 170s by my retake in June, considering that logic games are by far my worst section. Yeah, for sure. Go for, you, can, you can nail the game section. You can get a perfect on games. For what it's worth, I'm also a diversity candidate, first-generation American and college student Latina. I've been working as a business consultant for a year and a half, and paying for law school with loans isn't really an option. $150,000 doesn't quite cover everything, but I should be able to manage it. Should I go for the easy road or play the field? Well, wait. Um, can't you do both? Well, I don't really understand that question. I mean, what is what does she mean? I think she means... Should I go for the easy road? In other words, should I apply to Northwestern's Easy Decision Program? Or should I play the field? Apply oh, to because it's broadly? binding. I see. Yeah. But <clears throat> yeah. I think, I mean, you, I would still apply to other schools. So I guess it is binding. That's the question. Oh, I see. So, well, okay. So if I understand it, she's she's saying she thinks she could get a better scholarship somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. and Or a better school. Or a better school. And the problem then with this binding program is that you're committing to, you're signing a contract that you're promising that if they admit you in exchange for the early consideration in this binding program, that you will then withdraw all of your other applications, even if you get into Harvard, Stanford, Yale. Yeah. And with a 169 and a 3.89, oh, and she's retaking the test. Logic yeah. Games is her worst section. Yeah. Uh, she could definitely potentially do better. I mean, she's not applying until, wait, she's applying next cycle or this cycle? Applying, yeah, she's applying in the 2018 cycle. No, so wait she'll know take, then, yeah. Yeah. Take the June test, see what you get, and based on that, they'll make it a slam dunk. Yeah. We also need to know how much money you'd have to pay if you went to Northwestern. Like, how much does the $150,000 discount now require you to pay if it's not that much then you know you have to think about that but it really comes down to your LSAT score in June and how much that money is yeah I just want to say I mean hey hey listeners this is what a lawyer looks like she's like super prepared she's she's super smart to begin with started with the 160 here has a 169 on record that's not good enough has a yeah. 3.89 from rice is still working on a better LSAT score has done a yep. bunch of research, done a bunch of due, due, due diligence is, and, and is, is now reaching out to us for advice, like way in advance <laughs> asking this question about, you know, the early decision program. Like there's no way that that can't even open up until like September. Right. Yeah. And she's asking six months in advance about whether she should do that or play the field. Um, very lawyerly. I'm uh, I'm all in on uh, Vicky's chances as a lawyer. Yeah. 
anyway, uh, sorry, where were we? So it says, and finally, you both keep mentioning reasoning reasons not to go to law school, of which there are many. Oh yes, there are many. We all think we know that we're getting into what we're getting into as lawyers, long hours, mountains of paperwork, and possibly terrible pay. But in your opinion, who is the ideal JD candidate? Why should someone go down this path? I think if you if you honestly know what you're getting into and you've done some of this work before or are very familiar with someone who has, and that excites you. Like you look forward to doing that. Um, the work part, the work. Yeah. Like, you know what the work actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Not the wearing a suit part, (laughs) not seeing yourself in court when in reality, you'll probably never be there. Imagine negotiation, research, settlement, more and more research, reading and writing endless research and reading and writing. Yeah, write, lawyers are the highest paid professional writers. That's basically what it is. Yeah. If that... Hmm, go ahead, sorry. Nothing. Yeah, if that really does sound appealing to you, and that's why it's so important to either have done some of this, worked at a law firm, or know someone who does this, and really get to know what they do from day to day, then yeah, go down this path. Otherwise, run the hell away from it. Yeah, or want, you have other some other plan, and you know you just need to get a JD, and you're going to go down that path with the JD for some reason. Like you work in politics or on the hill or something crazy like that. Yeah, I think the ideal person on this road is somebody who's super smart, super hardworking, ideally already uh, very accomplished. You know, like the the really good undergraduate grades. I think just means a lot. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just it just means that you're accustomed to jumping through lots of hoops you know, and Mm -hmm. just grinding it out. Mm -hmm. Let's face it to get really good grades. You just got to be able to do a bunch of bullshit. That's exactly right. It's not (laughs) your understanding. It's like, can you put in the work? It's both. Mm -hmm. You have to understand it. You have to master it, but you also just have to do a whole bunch of bullshit, unnecessary, just garbage and not really like worry about it or complain about it. Just kind of get up in the morning and start doing it. Yeah. So yeah, this Vicky, you, you look like the perfect candidate for going down this path. I mean, does it say, does she talk about working in law firms at all? No, it doesn't. So, so that's the one thing that I just, you know, like what kind of a lawyer are you going to be? Who, whose career is it that you're trying to replicate? Yeah. And then, and then think about what kind of work they actually do every day. But if you've seen that, if you've done that, and you really want to do that work, then that does make you the ideal candidate. We're looking for um, work enthusiasts, specifically people who know what lawyers actually do and still have enthusiasm for that work. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of people go work at law firms to bolster their resume to get into law school. First right. of all, that's not going to help you because it's everybody what else. so many else, you know, so many other candidates are doing. You go work at a law firm, if at all, to figure out whether to go to law school, not to get into law school. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. You want to learn as much as you can about the work that lawyers actually do. And and then if that's really appealing to you, I mean, that's that's my friend, Nikki Black, man. She, I, I'll never forget meeting her in, in law school and having her just be like, oh, I don't even care what kind of lawyer I want to be. I just, I've worked in law firms and I just want to do that work. Like, I know I can do it. I want to do the work. 
Mm-hmm. And it, at, at the time I was like, she doesn't even have like a plan. Doesn't know what kind of, she doesn't know what kind of lawyer she wants to be. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. she even here for? And in, yeah. in, in reality, that was, I was the completely naive one. And she was the one who had actually worked in the trenches before as a lawyer. And she was like, no, I know what, I know what lawyering looks like. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. wanted to research and read and write legal documents. Yeah. If that sounds sexy to you <laughs> and you want to just do that all day, every day, then that's a lawyer. Yep. She continues. Oh, she says, I don't carry a pocket constitution. So I'd appreciate it if you think that's a red flag. Uh, I don't know many people at all who carry a pocket constitution, but it's definitely a deal killer. So forget the whole law school thing. <laughs> Carrying a pocket constitution is a very douchey thing that one else like to do <laughs> to act like you're some highfalutin big time lawyer, right? Everybody thinks they're Thurgood Marshall. And so you carry this oh pocket gosh. constitution around and yeah. it's like, uh, not that Thurgood Marshall carried a pocket constitution or anything. And I'm <laughs> certainly not trying to talk shit about Thurgood Marshall. What I'm saying is it, all these, uh, you know, wannabe, um, everybody thinks they're going to be just next stop, uh, regaling the Supreme court with <laughs> all of their brilliance. That's right. Oh, wow. We never thought about precedent in that way. Yeah, exactly. That that's the type of people who carry a pocket constitution. It just seems like very, super naive. Or I had a law school professor who was like a super showboat who did it. Mm. And um yeah, no, I'm glad you're not carrying a pocket constitution, Vicky. You know, like so many things in life, it's really about like why you're doing it, not what you're doing. So most people who carry pocket constitutions are complete fakes right they're they're phony sure seems like it to me yeah yeah but i can imagine someone who carries it because they genuinely love the constitution and are for for some reason checking it out i i would imagine it would be that's strange because on this day and age you really just have it on your phone (laughs) yeah so like i i actually i i don't know if i could ever ever see that but i could see like an older attorney doing that oh sure and genuinely be interested in it but otherwise you know yeah, it's just a show. It's something that they're carrying it so that they can pull it out and wave it around. Exactly. You know, they're they're carrying it so that they can show it off. It's like the people who who are really into the constitution have the whole thing memorized. So sure. you don't need to have you don't need to be waving it around if you've memorized it. Let me it. check that out. Article 3. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um I got to wrap it up here pretty quickly. Do you think we have time for one more? I do. Yeah. If, if okay. you have time, let's do it. Yeah. Let's, let's do this one more and then we'll wrap it up. Um, it says Nathan Abed, the article linked below is an op-ed from a law school Dean. So take it with all the necessary grains of salt. You could have just said, take it with all the salt. Um, cause there's going to probably be many necessary grains if this is coming from a law school Dean. Um, but it does answer why they changed the bar passage portion of the 509. They are requiring schools to update results with ultimate, not just first time bar passage, but ultimate bar passage and to keep the results on their websites. I'm not sure why they couldn't have kept the 509 section about bar passage rate also, but at any rate, all law schools should have the information online before deposit deadlines. Best Jacob. 
And then there's a link here to um, a story about all of that. So talking about, because we've complained about the new 509s that came out a few weeks ago and how they had taken bar passage rate off. So we'll have a link in the show notes to this article um, if you would like to check that out. Jacob, I mean, you ended your email with the exact question that we're wondering. Why not include it in both places? I don't think it answers the question at all. Yeah, probably doesn't answer the question at all. But anyway, that is the change, I guess. And they used that change as an excuse to not put it on the 509s this year. Maybe it'll come back next year. Yeah. Um, but anyway, whoever makes that determination, hey, the uh, the bar passage rates really need to be on the 509s. <laughs> come on, why not? And yeah, put ultimate, put first time and ultimate, please. Put both of those on there. That would be convenient. Sure. If the whole point is to make it easier for students to be savvy, um, put 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 more information on there, more relevant information on there, not number of books in the library or any bullshit like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, we are going to, I am going to have to wrap it up there. That was show number 128. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.